We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome back as we head into Hour 3. Delighted to do so with our dear friend Brandon Weikert. Brandon J. Weikert is a geopolitical analyst. He uh, runs the Weikert Report. He is a contributing editor at American Greatness, a contributor to Asia Times, all the important places, Washington Times, his book, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, his other books in the offing, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy, he has a book on China as well. I want to start with that. First of all, Brandon, I hope you had a great holiday. Thanks for being with us as always. I had a wonderful holiday, and thank you for having me as, as always. You betcha. You betcha. You've earned it, uh, and you continue to. Um, Brandon, I, I, I'm having a hard time putting this exactly into words, but I kind of noticed an interesting thing over the last five, six, seven days in social type gatherings where politics – doesn't usually come up with the people I'm talking about. You know, almost every one of them, someone brought up a concern about China uh, one way or another. Concerns I have never heard them really raise before. Concerns that, you know, should we be worried about China? And, and they were different. They were all about different things. Some of it had to do with military. Some of it had to do with uh, Taiwan. Some of it had to do with human rights. Some of it had to do with TikTok. Some of it had to do with infiltration here. But China seemed to be on a lot of people's minds. And I'm wondering, you know, a lot of us have been talking about for years. I'm wondering if there is something going on or if people are beginning to appreciate something's not quite right. Today, the big protests were covered. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how much more they're covered and how much more they're allowed to go on, the, the COVID protests. Anyway, I I say that all just with a colon saying to you, what am I getting at? What are you hearing when I tell you this? Well, what what we need to first understand is what's going on in China is um, a a reaction to a very specific set of policies. Uh, And it's a reaction I think most Americans, particularly those Americans living in blue states, can understand. It's a reaction, a negative reaction against draconian, harsh COVID-19 countermeasures. So for, you know, for two years on and off, there have been sweeping lockdowns being imposed upon some of the biggest cities in the world, in China, Shanghai, Wuhan, uh, not Beijing, but uh, Guangzhou, I believe, a litany of, of major cities, Hong Kong. And these are millions and millions of people living there. And Literally, if your neighbor sneezes and you're living in an apartment complex, your apartment complex could get shut down just because of one person, uh, you know, getting sick. And this has gone on for, for two plus years now with no end in sight. And so the people of China are understandably now getting tired of seeing their kids not being able to go to school. I mean, just imagine how we felt during our lockdown. Mm-hmm. Only this is going on still. So what this has done is it has highlighted the real fundamental systemic, if I can take that word back from the Democrats, <laughs> the, the systemic flaws inherent in China's government 
inherent in its communist regime. And it's all being brought out to the fore because of these horrible lockdowns. And so now we are the whole world being exposed to just how horrific that regime is letting an apartment full of people burn alive in a room because they did not want to have the firefighters break the seals on the lockdown building yeah. for fear that the firefighters might be exposed and everyone else might be exposed to COVID-19 that was supposedly ravaging that apartment complex. And so now the ordinary American, which let's face it, has been pretty numb yeah. to the plight of China for the last 50 years, now it's all being brought out into the fore, and you have these stark images. And even the mainstream media here, which usually carries water for Beijing, even our mainstream media is now starting to highlight the excesses. And so now we're all having a conversation, and hopefully it leads to the place it should lead, which is we should cut off China entirely and have no part in doing business or working with China and make them the international pariah that that regime should be. Interestingly enough, on this, um, it seems as if while the media are waking up to it because, you know, I suppose a protest is a good story, um, the administration seems to be cold. Here's a statement they put out today. We've said that zero COVID is not a policy we're pursuing here in the United States. And as we said, we think it's going to be difficult for the People's Republic of China to be able to contain this virus through zero COVID. For us, we are focused on what works. I mean, this this is as bland and mealy mouthed. And, and I mean, why even put out a statement? Why even put out? Well, a statement? at least at least they're making a statement when it comes to the situation in Iran. I don't think I've heard a senior administration Correct. official say one thing. Correct. Um, or the situation in Russia, interestingly, where there are also young people in droves demanding a change to their government's policies as it relates to Ukraine. So there's a pattern here playing out. And you're right. The Biden administration, let's face it, is really bad about, you know, standing up to these authoritarian states. And it's interesting because, of course, it's been the Biden administration that has most loudly in sort of a theoretical construct talked about the burning a budgeting fight, a burgeoning fight, rather, between um, the autocracies of the world versus the democracies of the world. And yet when it comes to applying that rhetoric in practice, this administration won't go after these regimes publicly. And I think it has to do with the fact that the Biden administration, when it comes to China, wants to get this deal with China. They want to create or restore, rather, this sort of understanding that once existed between Washington and Beijing and that has been fraying over the last decade. And they want to restore that and they want to start having greater economic linkages again with China. And they want to see a ratcheting down of tensions in the Asia or the Indo-Pacific uh, because they are wedded very closely to this idea that creating engagement and trade and normalizing relations with China and keeping those relations stable, even if it means looking the other way on mass murder, that that will create world peace and that that will help us economically and create a better system in the world. It's a horrible assumption, but we've seen this play out time and again. And I remind your audience to look up Bill Gertz's most recent book um, uh, from Encounter Books, in which he talks about how in the Obama administration, 
Former President Obama and Vice President at the time, Joe Biden, and his national security advisor, Anthony Blinken, all conspired to hand back over one of the highest-ranking Communist Party defectors mm-hmm. that we ever had in 2011, mm-hmm. uh, Wang um, mm-hmm. Lijun. Mm-hmm. And Wang Lijun came to us and said, listen, if you help me get out of here and get to California, I'm going to give you all the dirt on all the top players of China. And Hillary Clinton, listening to Joe Biden and Anthony Blinken, who was vice president at the time, Joe Biden, said, no, send them back. We don't want them. And the reason we didn't want them, because then-Vice President Xi Jinping of China was going to meet with then-Vice President Joe Biden, and Blinken didn't want Biden to get snubbed. And also, let's face it, we now know from all the reportage from people like Peter Schweitzer and, and, else, and others that Biden was knee-deep in corruption uh, in these corrupt deals with uh, the Chinese. And I think that's at play here as well. So we have all these factors, and that's why we have what we have right now, which is a great opportunity to weaken and diminish the most evil regime since the Nazis, the Chinese Communist Party, and we're doing nothing. Nothing. I, I, I want to pick up on that in a moment, but I just have to say in passing, it looks like it was a pretty bad day for this sort of thing as I'm thinking about it as you're talking. Not only the, uh, the, the, the pabulum about China, but this is the same day uh, Kirby, spokesman for the State Department. Uh, is it John Kirby? He was no, he's at, Pentagon uh, now. Uh, Pentagon State now, Department thank you. Obama. He yeah. um, he was asked about uh, about the U.S. soccer team uh, using the old Iranian flag, the non-Islamic yeah. Republic flag. If he had a comment yeah. on it, he said, we don't comment on things like that. And then, of course, we combine that with Joe Biden uh, asking uh, Venezuela to allow uh, Chevron to uh, pump more oil, uh, produce yeah. more oil for us. I mean, it's a pretty good day if you're a dictator and you have Joe Biden in the office. It's it's ironic that, you know, this is Biden who rose to power claiming that I'm going to be Mr. Democracy. Well, here he is turning a blind eye all the time. Yeah, yeah. To Venezuela, to Iran, to China. Let me take a quick commercial break. I'll pick up a little bit more on China and then I want to turn to some domestic politics with you if I can, Brandon. As I go to break, let me put in a word for our sponsors at Y-Refi, if you're concerned about stock market volatility, Y-Refi has an investment opportunity in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. The interest is compounded daily. You're paid monthly. There are no fees. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high interest rate. In fact, up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, up to 10.25% return. Why Refi, a due diligence approved firm, can be checked out at their website, investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. Brandon J. Weikert, and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest, columnist at the Asia Times, America Greatness, author of several books, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, uh, books on Iran, books on China. Uh, Brandon, um, one, one, one other set of thoughts with you re- regarding China before I move on to some domestic stuff, um, and it's this. We, we have covered 
you and I have certainly and a few others, to be fair. You've mentioned some of them. Asia Times does it uh, where you write the human rights problem and obviously the uh, authoritarian and tyrannical instinct problem, again, with the shutting in on COVID. By the way, I don't think we're even getting anything like real information out of China on anything having to do with COVID, which in and of itself, I mean, it's almost as why are we not treating China the way the Bush administration, I mean, pre pre bombing the way the Bush administration and 15 other countries treated Iraq for their secrecy about a a weapons program? You know, China very well may have unleashed a a viral, a biological weapon on those on this world might very well have. There seems to be this. This 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 tipping towing going on by Anthony Fauci and others about origins of it. They're not reporting numbers. They are not being uh, accessible to the World Health Organization. This is a disease, a virus, I should say, that has plagued the entire universe, the entire universe for better than two years. And we're just letting them say, "Okay, China, you kind of do what you do. Right. And as you know, my third book, Biohack, is all about. The truth. I alone have the exclusive, the the linkages proving that this COVID-19 emanated from a lab. And by the way, Dr. Fauci's organization, NIAID, helped to fund the gain-of-function research that went into developing COVID-19. I then found documents from China's top Air Force medical uh, personnel, their leadership, there was about 12 of them, uh, in 2015, who wrote a paper explaining how coronaviruses can be weaponized to collapse the healthcare systems of a rival country. And that rival country almost always is referring to the United States. Yeah, right. And so, and so, you know, you're right to point this out. Um, but this goes back to a larger problem going back to the Nixon years. Too big to fail, that, too big to ignore, too big to it, criticize. Exactly right. Yeah, and, yeah. It's a, and we'd rather them be supposedly with us yeah. than against us. And, of course, the Chinese laugh, the leadership, they laugh, and they use that sentimentality to their advantage because they're very much not with us. They've been at war with us since the, uh, the rise of Mao Zedong's Communist Party. Um, in 1949, when Mao declared victory over the Chiang Kai-shek's nationalists who fled to Taiwan and founded the current Taiwanese government, um, it was Mao who had a slogan, and he said it in his victory speech, we will catch up to Great Britain and overtake the United States. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's going back to 1949. So it's, it's deeply ingrained in the regime's founding ethos, and yet we keep lying to ourselves, just like we do with Iran. You mentioned Iran earlier. We do the same thing with the Iranians, you know, just like we did with Hitler in the interwar years, just like we did with the Soviets. Pretty much the left did the entirety of the Cold War. But even before the Cold War, we had people, you know, apologizing for Stalin and and the Soviet Union. The uh, elite want something yeah. from these regimes yeah. and they benefit from these regimes whether it's you know materially or ideologically or whatever they benefit from these regimes and so they lie to themselves and they lie to others about the true nature of these regimes and these regimes are all the same they are pure evil they must be resisted and they must be destroyed otherwise they will destroy us and they already are starting to destroy us look at what this lie about covid Look at what this lie about COVID has done to our society. Because we were not able, and and now you can just extrapolate that lie 
and look at all the lies that China has told us since we opened up to them in the 70s. We have destroyed our working class. We have eviscerated our economic dynamism. We don't have a middle class basically anymore, partly, largely because of that. We have this massive fentanyl problem, which is being pumped into our cities and our country by Mexican drug cartels who are getting the material from China. And then just look specifically at the COVID lie. Because we are not allowed to ask about the origins of COVID-19, we have now an entire distortion of reality where we were locking down our own citizens and telling them that it's a perfectly natural disease when, in fact, this thing was weaponized in a lab. And what should have happened was the U.S. government should have gone on a war footing the minute this thing was detected. And this is Trump's fault as well, because he wanted that deal with China, the trade deal in December of 2019. And so he told Matt Pottinger and a lot of the hawks, don't read too much into this. Don't go after China publicly, because that's going to hurt my chances to seal this deal. Well, we're all paying the price for this now. We should have gone on a war footing against China. At the very least, we should have filed a class action lawsuit against the Chinese government the way that the 9-11 victims' families went after the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Maybe it doesn't end anywhere anytime soon, but at least you're putting pressure on China because they lied and they've been lying and their lies are now having real world negative impacts, not just on their own people, but on us as well. And that's not acceptable. You know, on the on us part, that last part, it's amazing to me when you think about how how widespread the whitewashing of China was here. You may recall eons ago, there was a governor of New York named Andrew Cuomo during COVID. And he went so far as to say, I won't even call it a China virus. I'll call it a European virus. But, you know, here's the asininity of it. And it took a comedian, well, kind of a comedian, Adam Carolla, to explain this to me. He said the other day, he said, you know, If we had a virology lab and we were doing gain of function or whatever you want to call coronavirus research in Houston, if we had a lab in Houston and um, a virus started spreading out across the United States and theories were everything from armadillos to hmm, that kind of thing we're doing in Houston, it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't take one beat of sweat off my neck to say, Houston, we have a problem. This came from Houston. That's how, I mean, if it were here, we wouldn't care. We would go and deal with it. But we we universally wanted to whitewash any responsibility. It was weird. It's weird. Well, it cuts back to qui bono, who benefits. We know that Fauci and Collins of the NIH and that much of our medical, and this is documented, I have the original source documents located in my book. I talk extensively about how the U.S. and Western scientific community fundamentally believes that the future of high-tech, risky biotechnology R&D is in China because China has no standards. They have no moral and ethical qualms about doing any kind of research. And so Stanford, University of North Carolina, uh, the NIH, you name the institution or the industry in the United States that deals with developing pharmaceuticals or developing biotech more generally, and they are offloading a lot of the risky R&D from the United States where ethical and legal standards and regulatory standards are so high over to China where it's no holds barred, they can get a product quickly, and they don't need to worry about any kind of you know ramifications legally. 
And so they benefit from it. Yeah, and they it's about the, yeah, let, this is a hard yeah. break I got to take. They, they do the, yes, let me pick up on that with you, Brandon, when we come right back. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Brandon Weikert. We'll be right back. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. He is a columnist uh, with the Asia Times, America Greatness, Washington Times, author, public, publisher of the Weikert Report, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. Uh, Brandon, on the, you know, I was going to follow up with you on China. I just got it in my email. This is amazing to me. You know, I don't know why we give this so much oxygen. Some promoter just sent me um, a media advisory that a podcaster of, of some reputation, I suppose, is sitting down with uh, Kanye West and uh, Nick Fuentes and Milo Yiannopoulos to discuss the controversial... Di- Why don't they just shut these people up and down? Shut them down. Why are we giving oxygen to these people? Uh, well, because obviously... They're, I mean, personally, I think they're clowns. Yeah, of course and, they are. But, but, you know, clowns are very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, and that's why they keep doing it, because it's getting them clicks. It's a low-hanging fruit. Um, and, you know, we were talking about lies in the previous segment. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's, a, there's a, a great lie or a myth that these individuals are spinning that's going to be as destructive to our political system, and I don't mean that in a positive way, uh, that is going to be as destructive and damaging to our system here in the United States as what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to their system in China. And I don't mean to say that these individuals are going to be, you know, potentially putting people in camps or killing people. But what I'm saying is these individuals are not interested in the truth. They're not interested in any semblance of the truth. They want to promote themselves. And in the case of Nick Fuentes, they want to promote a particularly noxious ideology that really is quite un-American. Uh, it is neo-Nazism. I actually, you know what? It's just straight-up Nazism. Uh, with a Catholic uh, flair. Um, it's a misinterpretation of our most fundamental beliefs. Uh, and and, it, 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 and it, he's given the kind of platform that he keeps being given, meeting with the former president, by the way, late recently. This is only going to elevate the crazy. And we are going to lose our last best hope of saving this country from the actual problems that the left presents us. And we are going to hand over at least our party to a group of people like Nilo and, and Nick Fuentes and, and Kanye, who are not only clowns, but they are absolute, absolute dangers to what we're trying to do. And we're trying to save America for the most amount of people. We are not trying to make America less representative or open to those seeking freedom. Uh, we are trying to make it a larger uh, enterprise. And, you know, what Trump represented in 16, I believe, uh, was an attempt to open up and to make America great again. What these people are talking about is so self-destructive to that mission, it is going to undermine and undo everything that we have fought so hard, you and I and others have fought so hard to try to build here in our political movement. I have nothing but, but contempt for what those people stand for and what they're doing. Yeah, I, I, I want to echo what you're saying. Uh, there's a few elements to it. And they're anti semites too, and we have no place. There's no place for any of that well, crap. Well, th- this is what's so disturbing 
at one level. There's many levels to this. One of the things that's so disturbing about that is that for, I don't know, a good 30 years now, I guess, conservatives and Republicans kind of had the moral high ground on this. We were pretty good at marginalizing the kooks in our uh, in our movement. I remember when David Duke ran for, uh, I think it was governor right. in Louisiana, in the first George H.W. Bush uh, time period administration, George H.W. Bush said David Duke is not a member of the Republican Party. He kind of read him out of the party. Um, we have we have become, however, very much used to seeing this in the Democratic Party with not only uh, silence, but endowment. You know, Nancy Pelosi's uh, political uh, committees, they give money to the Ilan Omars and the Rashida yep. Tlaibs. Uh, Louis Farrakhan is probably the most uh, welcomed speaker and uh, yep. and attendee of, of uh, Congressional Black Caucus meetings. Bill Clinton was on stage with him two years ago, smiling and hugging him. That's kind of as execrable as it is. That's kind of what we expected from them to see it come back or return to the conservative movement. Maybe you and I could say a word more about that when we come back. But it also kind of makes it a lot more difficult for us to take moral high grounds with countries like Iran and Venezuela and China that do traffic in modern day recrudescent holocausts and modern day recrudescent Nazism and fascism, whether it's Islamo or socialist. Um, it makes it harder for us to say things about that when our leaders are playing footsie with it. Brandon, uh, when we come back, maybe you could say a word about that, too. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. So delighted to have Brandon Weikert with us. He's the publisher of the Weikert Report. He's an author. He's a teacher. He's a columnist with all the important Journals, uh, Brandon, am I am I resonating in in anything I was saying about this this weird tolerance and acceptability, even if in some cases stumblingly and and accidentally so, and the need to kind of justify it with 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 racism, let's just call it bigotry. Um, in this case, anti-Semitism. We got used to. We shouldn't have, but I mean, we, it's not eyebrow raising anymore to see Democrats play with it. They've been playing with this fire for way too many years. It's kind of weird to see it back happening in conservative circles a bit. If that's a fair I, thing to say, I don't know if it is. I think it is fair to say, and I think it's very telling. Um, the it's not just Nick Fuentes. You see, for Nick Fuentes, there is this really dangerous outgrowth. That affects a lot of the younger Gen Z millennial. Uh, I'm an older millennial, uh, but it affects a lot of the, the younger pundits mm-hmm. um, where they seem to think that it's okay to, and it's a lot of people you know and I know yep. who look the other way yep. about Fuentes because, yep. well, he's a fellow traveler on the other things that yep. matter. And I have to tell these people that's the exact same argument that Chuck Schumer. Yep. And the exact same argument that Nancy Pelosi yep. and all these people who I don't really believe are anti-Semites, but they, they empower yep. the younger generation of Democrats who most certainly are yep. anti-Semitic yep. coming out of these colleges. Yep. And I know, so when I was at, I went to DePaul University in Chicago as an undergrad. Okay. I was the president of the college Republicans there. We, I made a point to do outreach and joint operations, if you will, with the Hillel group. Because they were under constant attack every day from students for justice in Palestine 
And from all these left-wing groups on campus, DePaul was a very radical campus. It was the Berkeley of the Midwest. And so I learned very quickly, particularly when I took a a graduate-level class as an undergrad on the Israeli-Palestine conflict, in which, to a T, all of my other classmates hated Israel. And they, they, and they ganged up on the only Jew that was actually in the room. And so I took it upon myself. And that wasn't you, by the that. way, right? <laughs> Sometimes that with the name Weinkert, you might get that confusion, no. but it wasn't no, no, you. I'm a, yeah. I'm a Christian. Yeah, right. But I saw what they were doing to this guy. And this guy was former IDF. And what he was saying was legitimate. And so I made a point to get to know this guy. And so my point with all of this is when the right finds itself echoing, as it is now, the anti-Semitism that is almost universally home on the left, we have a really big problem. And when the former president, who very well may be the next nominee, starts giving power to Nick Fuentes, but also the people who write, who believe, as Nick Fuentes does, they may not say it, they speak in coded language, but they believe as he does, this is a big problem. Yeah. Because it means the movement is, is compromised. And it will have a negative impact when we go in the general election. And if we lose the general election in 24, Seth, uh, the country's over. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. And so it now is incumbent on us to say what we have been saying for years. Donald Trump is no anti-Semite. It's impossible for him to be so on any number of calculations or calculi. But – What happened here with this dinner is illustrative of why people like – if I can speak for you, you will correct me if I get you wrong. People like you and me are thinking it's maybe time to go with someone who has a little better judgment these days. Let let me tell you what Dan Crenshaw gloated to me when I met with him in 2019. My stomach was turning. Um, We were talking and he was recounting how he and Lindsey Graham – now, whatever your opinion on the Syria war is, yeah, yeah. the fact that, the fact is, it, Crenshaw met for two hours in the White House with Trump, and basically Trump wanted to end our involvement in Syria, and he's the president, and at some level, he's allowed to make that decision. But Crenshaw and Graham had a problem with it, so Crenshaw spent two hours, and what I asked him, I said, how did you get him to change his mind? And he said, oh, I just, I stroked his ego for two hours, ha, ha, ha. And he was all proud. And I was thinking to myself, when I'm, I, I was reminded of that, when I saw Nick Fuentes meeting with the former president, and Fuentes described, and Kanye described, how Fuentes buttered up uh, you know, Trump with endless flattery. That is a very dangerous weakness. If your worldview is affected so big time by flattery, then you are going to go with the wind. And that is very dangerous. And so, yes, Trump was the was the weapon we needed in 2016 to get it back into power. But now I think that he's proving to be a one trick pony. And if the way in with him for white supremacists, a literal Nazi like Fuentes to get in with him is to just flatter him for an hour and a half over dinner at Mar-a-Lago then he is a problem, and we're going to need to find someone else, someone disciplined, someone professional, someone like my governor, Ron DeSantis. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, the idea that anyone can just walk into Mar-a-Lago by his own definition of how it happened, someone who he likes and who likes him, and bring with him guests and sit down and have a a two-and-a-half or whatever-hour conversation with it was and think there's no problem here. But you know what? Someone made another point. Even if you didn't know who Nick Fuentes and Mia and Milo Yiannopoulos were, even if you didn't, and let's give him credit that he didn't, a lot of people don't, um, he knew who Kanye West was. 
and there's a lot going on with him right now too, and that too was bad judgment. That was bad judgment, but I don't think that I, I don't think it's right to give cover to the fact when the pre- former president says I didn't know him. That's not the issue. The issue wasn't whether he knew him or not. The issue was once he was in the room, why didn't he try to find out who the heck he was? Right. With? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't it, it doesn't gel, or there's something really wrong with the betting. And by the way, Seth, since announcing for president, the president, former President Trump, now has a full counter assault. Secret Service team around him. Yeah. He's got the resources yeah. Yeah. to find out who he's meeting yeah. with. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So that, that doesn't fly. It's a bad piece of judgment that um, that is indicative of something slipping, you know? Um, something yeah. slipping. And, you know, I don't, I, there's any number of things one can, one can attribute it to, but um, you're right. You just don't get this with Ron DeSantis, but look how far down he's taking, he's taking the party because now columnists though they're wrong, are saying, you know, Ron DeSantis is part and parcel of this problem. And it's just right. simply not right. the case. All right, Brandon, you're a good man, and I so appreciate you being with us. You're also a smart man, and you're just the teacher we need, and I love having no, you, and you. I wish you another healthy and happy week, and we'll talk to you next one, yeah? You as well. Thank yes, you, sir. sir. God bless you and Godspeed. Brandon J. Weikert. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back indeed, and thanks for spending some of your day with us. It It is weird, I have to say. Um, it's not uncomfortable. It is weird to have to be talking still about things like racism, bigotry, and uh, all its guises, anti-white, anti-black, anti-Jew, anti-anyone. Um, it, it, it is weird to be doing it in um, 2022, at the close of 2022. Add it to the list added to the list, the growing list of disorientations that have come to us as we have become the most advanced technological country the world has ever known, as we have become the most wealthy country the world has ever known, as we have become the most accessible to information population any country has ever known. Um, it has never been easier to be smart, wealthy, and healthy um, at any time or in any other country than now. And yet we have this weird, disoriented list of lower life expectancy several years in a row, higher drug use and drug poisonings and deaths, lower education scores rather than higher. And, um, yeah, a, a recrudescent, a reappearing, ugly, vitriolic form, series of forms of bigotry uh, that come in many, many guises, uh, some of it uh, re-racialization, some of it resegregation, And yes, uh, as, as almost anyone will note, um, including a rise in anti-Semitism, um, it's, it's an interesting thing, the rise in anti-Semitism in and of itself, because it's always been it's always been the precursor to other forms of violence and bigotry and 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 uh, and racism. It's always been the canary, the canary in the coal mine. How does a society? How did societies treat their Jewish populations? What became of those societies? Could say it now about other groups too. Women, I suppose, is one. Christopher Hitchens taught us about how does a woman, how does society treat its women? Boy, you have some real toxic confluences when you look at places like Iran these days, don't you? 
But we should be able to say when you look at places like X, Y, and Z, not places like the United States of America. It's not who we are. It's not who we want to be. It's not who we should be. And we should root it out everywhere we see it. No matter, no matter where it comes from. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth. Class dismissed.